good day. And welcome to Wheat Beats Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, January the 2nd, 2019. Happy New Year! On this episode of The Word, we're going to delve deep into soil fertility. A bunch of questions out of the last episode of 2018 on The Word that leads us right into soil test philosophies. We're going to discuss, yes, believe it or not, manure on snow from a rational perspective. I'll get off my high horse. That'll lead into some fertility-specific scenarios and finish up at the end with some work on tillage and, in particular, strip-till. Still growers out in the field doing that. Let's go. First off, I hope to see you this Thursday, Friday at the Southwest Ag Conference. We'll be there. I'm so excited about that lineup. If you missed that, and, of course, it's full. There are lots of things coming up. Next week, Tuesday, the Grey Bruce Farmers Week Crops Day. Lots of annual meetings. The other big meeting in January that's not far away of course is the farm smart event make sure you get registered so you have a meal at these events it's really neat one thing nice about ontario i will put ontario growers up against any grower in the world anywhere why it's because of these types of information meetings the the continuous improvement the continuous on the job if you will training that agriculture goes through i think is second to none but that's only true if you actually get Get out and attend some of these meetings. So for goodness sakes, get out and learn. All right. Goodbye, 2018. Oh, my goodness. So many of us are happy to to close the books on 2018. Not that we really have. Those effects are going to bleed into 2019 for sure. But here's just one little stat from my good friend, Nature Nut Nick at Strathroy. Almost 200 millimeters above normal precipitation in 2018. 200 millimeters. And remember, that's with effectively a drought from about June the 1st right through till July the 20th, which means that from July the 20th on, oh, it just, it just never ever stopped raining. So absolutely, that's what led to lots of the challenges. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but wow, that's a whole lot. That's eight inches for the U.S. listeners, eight inches more rainfall than normal and kind of all at the back end of the year. Just ugly from that perspective. Okay, I want to talk about soil fertility. So we talked last episode about Dan in Idaho and his increasing soil phosphorus test without adding any phosphorus where he was just using crop rotation and also cover crops. And I talked about the impact of soil health right away. Ray from the North Shore. Ray, I love your feedback. You're always thinking it's awesome. Ray says, hey, Peter, that's I I don't disagree with what you're saying. But wait a minute. You know, this soil testing is not an exact science. And maybe more accurately, I should say soil sampling is not an exact science. And so in a three year period to say that this one went up and, and the other ones didn't or that it was the impact of soil health. Yeah, I think you really have to take that with a grain of salt. Ray, you could not be more correct. Oh, wow. It's always a challenge when you're soil sampling. Remember, you go out, you soil sample, whatever the size area is, let's say 20 acres, 2 million pounds in an acre furrow slice. So what's that work out to? 40 million pounds? We sample a cup size of soil out of that with our soil test probe. We try to mix it up and then they take about a thimble full and that's what they analyze. It is amazing actually, absolutely incredible when you think about the scale that we take down 
down to that soil test that we actually end up with a pretty reliable test. It's not perfect, as Ray says, but it's much more reliable than you would expect given that scenario. Nonetheless, that's why you must, absolutely must, continue to sample over time and track your soil tests over time. And once in a while, if you get a blip, well, just retest or just say that's a blip and those things happen and that was just the test. Whether it's a blip up or a blip down, that's the value of long-term soil testing. So Dan, from that perspective, I think Ray's right there. We have to keep monitoring before we can say that. Meanwhile, another caller says, okay, Peter, so if I use cover crops and I use good crop rotation, that should mean then that I can use less phosphorus and I could actually mine my soil, but I wouldn't really get response to added phosphorus. So wouldn't that be okay and be a more economical way to farm, plus probably less impact on the environment? So great thought process. However, that's why we started the long-term phosphorus and potash trials here in the province of Ontario. We now have run them, what, eight years? something like that and at the end of the day what we've really learned is that you if you have low phosphorus low potash soil test levels your maximum yield is reduced and these are all all four sites that we have in Ontario are rotated they are corn soybean wheat they're in the same field that's a, a strict rotation we do seed red clover in most of them the red clover doesn't always catch and if we don't always get back into seed oats if the red clover doesn't catch so you could say it's not perfect from a cover crop standpoint but it has full rotation and we've clearly learned that keeping your soil test values in that medium range adds somewhere around 10 bushels of wheat about four or five bushels of soybeans about 13 bushels of corn so you can't ignore that and the real question becomes so dan in idaho if you had to start it off with higher soil test phosphorus and potash values would you have gotten higher yields even though you didn't apply that fertilizer in the crop rotation and the cover crop scenario and our data would say the answer to that is yes and actually there's some Minnesota data that supports that as well so this concept of using less phosphorus I'm out of that game I think we need to make sure we keep our soil tests in a moderate range just because that's where we get the best yields so that leaves right into Dave's question so Dave says all right Peter so I pulled some soil tests can you tell me why the OMAFRA, the Ministry of Agriculture and Food in Ontario, why their soil test recommendations are so much lower than the neighboring U.S. states? And so, great question, Dave. That's where we get into this whole concept of soil test philosophies. And by the way, there is a new soil fertility handbook out. So from Jake Monroe, he's the new soil fertility specialist, Ministry of Agriculture and Food. They, we've had a soil fertility handbook for quite a few years. Keith Reed did it originally. There's a new version available. You can get it offline. You can order it, whatever, but get one because it will help describe this. But from Keith Reed, who was the former soil fertility specialist, now works with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, it's totally a difference in philosophy. So in Ontario, when you get the official recommendations, they are based on maximum economic return that particular year. So if you want to make the most money, then you follow those recommendations. Will it get to you to the maximum yield? Not necessarily, but it will make you the most money. What it does tend to do is it tends to pull your soil test for levels back into kind of the responsive range. So where we know we're going to get a response when we apply that phosphorus, we apply that potash. That's just the nature of the beast, how that works. 
On the other hand, in the U.S., most neighboring U.S. states use a different philosophy, which is build and maintain. So they want you to build the soil fertility levels up to the point where you really have very little chance of getting added response to that fertilizer. And then they want you to maintain those soil test levels so that effectively you have very little chance of losing yield. Which philosophy is right? I actually like this whole the whole long-term P&K trials, what we're learning there. And it sort of says, yes, we need to build those levels into kind of that medium range. And we still need to add some starter fertilizer. Those things still work. But we also have to be cognizant of the environmental impact. So we can't build fertility up above those medium levels. If we do, we become an environmental problem. But it's really a difference in the philosophy. That's why you see those different recommendations. So Chad, we're going to go into manure. And a couple of people actually called in, actually one young lad called in, I think, just trying to yank my chain saying, so is it okay if we put manure on snow this time of year? And the answer, of course, in Johnson's world is a full stop. No, you can't do it. Wait a minute. Chad, my good friend Chad from South Lambton, excellent agronomist, says, Peter, you have to take a step back and look at the practical reality. Remember, you talked about how much added rain we have. It started July 20th. We didn't have a chance to get our pits empty. We didn't have a chance to get that manure out. It was always too wet. And my pit is full. Gosh. I can't go through the winter until I get some manure out. So you really have to put that in perspective. If you have a light frost and no snow whatsoever, and you can get out there and put some manure on, and you're not going to get a torrential downpour within the next 48 hours, so that manure can kind of get in contact with the soil and, and it thaws out, then you can get away with putting that manure on what I'm going to call frosted soil. It's not frozen solid. If it's frozen solid, you can't do it because it'll run off but that frosted soil it thaws out the next day it has a chance to adhere to the soil and then we can do it if you have very little snow and it's going to melt so you're putting it on that one inch of snow that's okay if you have six inches of snow then that's not okay so there's all these different parameters and yes i would like the answer to be a hard stop no but there are practical realities chad you're 100 percent right so mike you still want to drill in some cereal rye and i talked about you broadcasting the cereal rye mike says wait a minute you got it wrong peter you got it wrong i want to drill in that cereal rye i want to put phosphorus with the seed is that a good strategy and the answer is absolutely yes and i know a lot of people right now are saying what why would you even bother planting cereal rye now but look at the weather we're having look at the winter we've had to date it's warm we get lots of times when that soil goes up to above freezing thaws out four or five degrees celsius rye will grow if it's over zero zero rye will grow so mike you want to drill in some cereal rye through the frost i think you go ahead and do it meanwhile sean up at arthur he got stuck with a drill full of wheat seed he got rained out and he just it never had a chance to go back to the field and he's saying hmm so do i take the chance do I go out there in January and put that seed in the ground? And Sean, the answer is yes, do it. I mean, gosh, what are you going to do with it anyway? Because it's in the cedar. But the trick is to make sure you get it 
in the ground. As long as it gets in the ground, the ground thaws out, the wheat imbibes that moisture, then it will vernalize. We had lots of discussion on Twitter about vernalization. I'm not worried about vernalization, but you have to get it in the ground. Oh, I should back up. I say I'm not worried about vernalization as long as we get it planted in early January, by mid-January or by the end of January for sure. If it gets too late, it won't vernalize. We don't have enough window, but we still have enough window now. So punch it through and then have realistic yield goals. It's unlikely to be 100 bushel wheat, but 80, 85, 90 bushel wheat, I think that's absolutely possible. And besides, it's just cool stuff to try, fun stuff to try. So give it a try. Let me know how it works. That's how we learn. All right, move on. Brett, putting on digestate on your winter wheat crop. So you're going to put on 3,000 gallons. The analysis is 43 nitrogen, 12P, 13K, 3S. And Brett says, that's only nine pounds per acre of sulfur. Is that enough? I'm looking at high yield wheat. Should I add some calcium sulfate to bump up the sulfur level? So 3,000 gallons, 120 pounds of nitrogen. You're right in the game. Typically, we like to see nitrogen to sulfur at a 10 to 1 ratio. That's the ratio it is in the plant. The digestate you're putting on is a 14 to 1 ratio. So right away, you would say, mm, it maybe is a little bit low. And, and come to the Southwest Ag Conference and listen to the real wheat growers because all of those guys are aiming for 150 bushel wheat and yes they're putting on 20 or 30 pounds of sulfur just to make sure they have enough sulfur in your situation brett i don't know you've got lots of digestate and manure in the history and so nine pounds of sulfur applied in the digestate plus probably a fair bit coming out of the soil i don't think you'll benefit from added sulfur but do some strip trials do those plots that's how we figure that out Okay, enough on soil fertility. Going to move on to tillage. And I got to say, I am so disappointed with the number of plows that have been pulled out. I even have long-term reduced tillage growers who, because of the fall we had, all that extra rainfall, made a mess of fields. They've gone back. They pulled the plow out of storage. They are plowing fields just to level them up and to try to break up some of the compaction. They know that they created. Ah, that just... Darn, I hate having to do that. You go into Huron County, and man, there's been a lot of plowing done. I just black dirt that really bothers me and everybody says well we're going to get away with it yep but you look at how it is plowed up it is plowed up in many cases very very tough and that will hurt us long term it's added compaction you're smearing it at that six inch or eight inch level whatever depth the plow is so you're creating that plow pen even though you turn up that smear and the freeze thaw cycles the wet dry cycles you're going to think next spring gosh that's the way to go and didn't cause any problems problem at all. Malarkey. It's not the way it goes, but we do have to level things out and that gets tough. In fact, Johnson has 40 acres where they applied biosolids and they just made a mess. If anybody out there has a TurboMax, something like a TurboMax, a narrow one that Johnson could actually rent and, and pull with his small little tractors to level that up on the frost some morning this January, let me know. I need to get that done. I'm just like everybody else. Uh, the, my challenge, of course, is to be there on the frosty morning. Morning. But yeah, I'm looking to rent one if anybody has a narrow one out there. But what I really want to talk about from a tillage standpoint is this whole concept of strip till. So a great tweet from Mike at Exeter out there between Christmas and New Year's saying, I am determined to finish strip tilling this fall. Yeah, 
and it was coming up beautiful. If it is working, if you get that dry period, enough frost to run, keep strip tilling. It can work. Yes, it is okay to put your phosphorus, your potash on still in the strip because it's going in the ground. As long as it's in the ground, that is okay. The other discussion that they had on Twitter, and I just, I love learning from this. How deep do we actually strip till? And the consensus was between four and eight inches deep, mostly between five and eight inches deep, but just make sure you make a nice berm that you're going to have black dirt raised up to catch the sun and a beautiful seed bed to plant into. That's really kind of the trick. On some of the heavier clays, guys talked about making sure you got under if there was a plow pan to break that up. But gosh, that's a very short-term thing just if you're starting strip tilling. The other really cool thing that I learned from that discussion is they said... Everyone agreed the Orthman strip tiller pulls harder. Nobody knew exactly why. Something about the void maybe that, that was created in behind the knife, but, but it just seemed to take more horsepower. Wow. So comments, feedback, I'd love it. And with that, I am out of time. That's it. That's all. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the first episode of The Word for 2019. Leave us a ton of questions. I'll have all sorts to talk about on next week's episode of The Word, and we'll be back next Wednesday. Talk to you then.